everyone. Welcome to Big Tent USA, where we put democracy above partisanship. We're building a women-led voter coalition. At Big Tent, we care about protecting the guardrails of democracy, ensuring government accountability and transparency, and increasing civic participation. Given what is going on in Ohio right now, I'm so excited to welcome Hannah Ledford of the Fairness Project. Hannah brings more than a decade of campaign and coalition management experience to the Fairness Project, where she works with state and national partners to ensure that campaigns are on track to win. Hannah has overseen about half of the Fairness Project's 30 plus wins at the ballot box. Prior to joining the Fairness Project, Hannah managed a coalition of more than 30 environmental organizations and directed their joint advocacy campaigns to protect America's public lands. Hannah also has more than a decade of electoral experience and has managed competitive races up and down the ballot. Please put your questions in the chat for Hannah and I'm gonna turn it over to you. Thanks, Hannah. Awesome, thank you, Kitty. I am gonna try to share my screen with the sound. Okay, can everybody see that? Thumbs up, okay, excellent. Um, there we go. Um, so I'm, thank you so much for having me first and foremost. I'm really happy to be here. Um, my name is Hannah Ledford. As Kitty said, I'm the campaigns director at the Fairness Project. Um, we are a national 501c4 and we do ballot initiatives. Um, it's all we do. We work a lot in red and purple states to um, enact progressive policy, particularly where it's stuck legislatively. Um, and I'm going to talk about this a lot today, but part of the reason I am here is because as the result of our success and many others' success at the ballot box over the last few cycles, we have seen um, the tool of direct democracy it itself um, become under attack, particularly in red states, and we are working very closely um, to beat back efforts to curtail direct democracy where they come up, um, which brings me specifically to Ohio, which we'll talk through in a minute. Um, but the Fairness Project, like I said, we're a national organization and we run, we exist to support progressive ballot measures, um, both with hands-on technical assistance. I have a full team behind me, um, each of whom has a specific state uh, set of states that they work in, and we provide everything from expertise about how do you set up a ballot committee? How do you get your compliance right? How do you run a really great paid comms program and a really great research program? Um, basically the sort of kind of like wraparound support services that a party committee might offer except for ballot initiative campaigns. Um, but we're also a funder and we raise a lot of money directly into our campaigns as well. Um, so we are, I would say a unique organization on the national scale on the national stage in that um, we work across the board in a lot of states, but we really do dig deep with state partners into specific campaigns to set them up and then see them through election day, um, both with funding and with expertise. And then the issues that we work on um, are, you know, we work on a lot of issues, but they're all kind of in the social justice, economic justice um, realm. We work on minimum wage, increasing the minimum wage. Uh, we won a $15 minimum wage in Nebraska last cycle, which we're really proud of. And we're taking that success to the ballot, hopefully in Missouri 
and potentially Alaska this year as well. Um, we do paid sick leave, we do paid family medical leave. Medicaid expansion has been a huge issue for us over the last several cycles. Um, and then reproductive rights um, has been a huge organizational priority since the fall of Roe. Um, and then relatedly, we are also sort of leading the charge to protect the initiative process itself when it comes under attack. And very often, um, like we're seeing in Ohio, those attacks come in the form of ballot initiatives that we have to run no campaigns on. That 30,000 feet is the Fairness Project. Um, just really quickly to sort of showcase the scale of our win. So we've been around since the 2016 election cycle. And in that time, we've won 31 out of our 33 campaigns, which is something we're super proud of. Um, in 17 states and in five pretty major municipalities. Um, thanks in particular to our wins on Medicaid expansion, um, which have been in largely very, very red states. Over a million people now have access to healthcare. Um, 9.2 million workers have seen raises uh, due to our work on minimum wage. And we were highly involved in the fights at the ballot box last year to enshrine the right to reproductive rights in Michigan and in Vermont. We're very involved in Ohio and we'll continue to be um, working on this issue, you know, as long as there are about 10 states with some level of abortion ban or restricted access where we can run ballot initiatives. And our goal as an organization is to enshrine reproductive rights in all of them. So this is a very long-term long-term fight for us. And I show those wins mostly to showcase the impact and this slide does as well, but it also sort of illustrates why the other side is coming for the process, in my opinion. Um, so this slide shows specifically the states where we have had progressive wins on issues uh, that Trump won in either 2016 or 2020. Um, and it's a lot of states. Uh, we have won you know, Medicaid expansion in places like Idaho and Utah and Nebraska. Um, we have done, I guess, Oklahoma, Missouri as well, minimum wage in a lot of these states, paid leave in a lot of these states. Um, and so it is not a surprise that the other side is sort of seeing this as a tool that we have, we and others. I mean, we work very, very closely with state-based partners in every single one of these states. Um, but not a surprise that the other side is starting to come for the process itself. Um, and that brings me to attacks on the ballot measure process. And I'm going to talk at length about what's happening in Ohio. Um, but the Ohio campaign that we're managing now is not the first of these attacks that we have seen. And actually attacks on the ballot measure process date back even before last cycle when we were really ramping up our own programming to fight them. Um, so last cycle in 2022, um, we won similar, different but similar ballot questions um, in South Dakota and Arkansas. Um, and then I can talk a little, I'll talk a bit about more about Arizona in a second. Um, but we lost that one by a point and a half. Um, I want to highlight South Dakota for just a second because I think of all of the states where we have seen this, it is actually weirdly the most analogous to Ohio. Um, 
we were in 2022 trying to pass a Medicaid expansion ballot initiative in South Dakota. Um, the Republicans in charge of the legislature correctly, you know, assumed that they could not beat Medicaid expansion if it were to go to voters. And so at the last minute in the legislative session of, I think it was like March of 2022, they referred a question to the June primary ballot. Um, the partisan breakdown of that was about 75% Republican, 25% Democrat to raise the win threshold on ballot initiatives to 60%. So the reason that is analogous to Ohio is because in the case of Ohio, we're trying to run a reproductive rights ballot initiative. The legislature made the assumption that they can't win if it goes to voters, which I think they're right about. And so instead of beating us on the merits of the policy, they're trying to pull the rug out from under us and change the rules in the middle of the game. Um, the other thing that South Dakota has in common with Ohio is that it was not a special election, but a primary election with very, very lopsided um, partisan turnout. It was an election where there were not a whole lot of statewide, very, very little enthusiasm on the Democratic side in terms of getting Republicans out or getting Democrats out to vote. The opposite was true on the Republican side. Um, and so turnout on election day really was like 70% Republican, 30% Democratic, um, and we won by like 30 points. And I think the reason for that is because um, we have seen in polling across all states where we've worked on this issue, including Ohio, that even the most conservative voters are not interested in changing their constitution to destroy the concept of majority rule over one issue. In South Dakota, that issue was Medicaid expansion. In Ohio, that issue is abortion. Um, but it is not, you know, it is true, I think, that legislatures have to try to be tricky about what election date we put this on to give themselves the best chance at winning because the reality is voters are just not with them on the merits of um, the policy. So fast forward to Ohio, um, you know, they saw this abortion initiative and others coming, you know, there is potentially a minimum wage initiative that will be voted on in Ohio next, this next cycle, potentially redistricting, which would be absolutely huge in Ohio next cycle. Um, and late last year, they said, you know what, it's too hard to change the constitution. So we're going to refer a question to the ballot that would not only raise the threshold for winning all constitutional amendment ballot initiatives to 60%, but require proponents of initiated measures in particular um, to get signatures from all 88 counties. And it would it eliminates, if it passes, a period in which proponents are able to go back into the field and get additional signatures. So the upshot is that they make the process a lot harder and they're obviously doing that on purpose. Um, so we, the Fairness Project, along with at this point, over 200 state-based organizations have launched a campaign to beat back this attack. I'll go into that in a second. Um, but, you know, make no mistake, it's on the ballot in August, on August 8th, because they are trying to circumvent um, they're trying to change the rules in the middle of the game for the abortion initiative, which we also think will be on the ballot this fall. Um, and then just looking up ahead to next cycle, 
North Dakota already has something referred to the ballot that would make the initiative process much harder. Um, we will likely launch a campaign there. Arizona, same story. It is more about geographic distribution requirements for signatures and not one of these threshold questions. Arizona has an entire additional legislative session to go. So we anticipate that we will be getting, it'll be a probably a slate of things we have to take down in Arizona next cycle. And then the other two states we're watching, because we're always watching them, is Missouri and Oklahoma. Um, both of those states are places that we've won campaigns in in the past, and um, attacks on the ballot measure process in the last few cycles have popped up, but we have, um, we as in, we, and again, a lot of local um, groups have successfully beaten it back legislatively. Um, okay, so I'm going to talk. Let's talk Ohio. Is this the right slide? Yes. Okay. Um, so like I said, this is a legislatively referred amendment. It's on the ballot on August 8th. Um, it ends simple majority rule for ballot measures um, and just generally makes them, if not impossible, just wildly expensive to qualify. Um, and that is on purpose. Um, election day is August 8th. Early voting began July 11th. So we have about a week of early voting numbers under our belts. And I will say at this point, there are about 175,000 ballots that have either been cast or requested and we're still mail ballots that are still um, in the process of being turned in. Of those ballots, according to the support score that we built for this campaign, where we think it's a huge guess because we don't know what turnout is going to look like in this election, which I can talk more about in a second. But um, we think we're winning at about a clip of 10 points. Um, and that is really important because we do think election day is going to trend more conservative. We do think we can win over a lot of conservative votes. But as always, the bigger our cushion going into election day, the better. Um, but I will say early vote is higher than I thought it was going to be. And I think that is generally good for us. I think our side is much more motivated to vote no in this than the other side is to vote yes. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, I will say opposition as of two weeks ago have begun communicating in earnest. Um, their funding is running <laughs> as if there was any confusion about what this issue is about, their funding is running directly through the Protect Women Ohio ballot pack, which is the pack that was formed to oppose the reproductive rights initiative this fall. Um, they have signaled publicly that they'll have at least $3 million to spend on this election. Um, and they are currently on TV with an ad that is all about how issue one ends parental rights, which of course is utter nonsense, but it is what you would expect from that particular group of people. Um, you know, it is, it's a base play. They're on radio, on, you know, Christian talk and on right-leaning talk radio as well. They're on Fox News. Um, they're trying to consolidate their base and turn their base out. And in an election that is this I mean, it is just unprecedented. We don't know. We have no other election in the past to compare it to. Um, so knowing how volatile turnout is, um, it is something that we are watching really, really closely and taking very, very seriously, because even though we are outspending them 
like four to one at this point. Um, even our best voters take vacations in August and we just, we can't take anything for granted. Um, so this really is shaping up to be a fight going into the eighth. Um, but I think, you know, the campaign is really, really strong and our field operation is really, really strong. And I'm feeling pretty confident about where we are. Um, we are on TV and we have been for three weeks now. We were up two full weeks before the early voting window started, which, um, you know, we made the strategic decision to go early to try to inform opinions before that window opened. Um, we're also going to, so this was not like, we were not choosing to go early at the expense of going late. We're doing both things, which feels really good. Um, and one thing that some, not me, but some might find surprising is that we have found um, that messaging around abortion is exclusively good for us and causes absolutely no backlash. Um, my hypothesis for that is because, is that um, when you look at the ballot language, the word abortion doesn't show up in it, parental rights doesn't show up in it, because that's not actually what it's about. What it actually does is it destroys majority rule. Um, the effect is that it would impact the election this fall, but I, voters are smart, and I think voters see through that, and I think the reason we're not seeing Republicans um, backlash against the ad I'm about to show you is for that reason. They think they're seeing that this is a dirty trick and are willing to vote no as a result. So all of that is to say right now, we're up on the air with two ads. One is this ad, which um, I personally love because it uses footage from a leaked private fundraiser that Frank LaRose did in which he said, yes, this is 100% about abortion. You'll see that. And then we have a second ad that focuses more on kind of our core democracy message, which is that um, issue one attacks the core principle of one person, one vote. It attacks majority rule. Um, and it specifically makes the claim, which is true, and we've gotten a lot of press about it, that this was designed to trick voters into giving up their own rights when politicians thought they weren't going to turn out to vote. So I was going to play these ads for you um, and then just open it up to questions. But let's see if I can do technology and these ads work. They got caught red-handed, admitting issue one is 100% about abortion. And so, yes, it's about abortion. Corrupt politicians and special interests have called a special election this August to rewrite Ohio's constitution to end majority rule. Yes, it's about abortion. They're trying to rig the rules to lock in Ohio's extreme abortion ban and stop efforts to restore our rights. It's about abortion. To protect our rights and our freedom to decide, vote no on issue one in August. They got caught red. All right. And then this is the second ad. Special interests spent millions lobbying corrupt politicians to call a special election this August. Why? Because they're trying to sneak something through, hoping you won't vote. There's only one amendment on the ballot. It's called issue one, and it rewrites our constitution to end majority rule. So special interests get what they want, stripping freedom from we the people. 
Don't be silenced on August 8th. Vote no on issue one. All right. Um, so yeah, those are our ads. I think that gives you sort of a flavor of what the next few weeks are going to look like in Ohio. Um, the Fairness Project is, for all intents and purposes, managing this campaign alongside a whole bunch of groups on the ground. Um, we have a really talented, you know, staff, um, comms team, mobilization team that are doing really great work. Um, but it is going to be a dogfight. I would say these two, these two ads are actually, we test every single piece of creative that we put on TV. And that's true for this race and all of the races the Fairness Project do, Fairness Project does. Um, these are two of the best testing ads I have ever seen since we've been at, since we've been testing things. Um, and again, I think that that is a testament to the cross-party appeal of this issue. Um, and, you know, we'll see how the next few weeks go. Our mobilization team is really, really working hard at the doors. I know several of you are making calls into Ohio. That is so deeply appreciated. Um, I would say if you have the time and are interested in making calls, it is um, a really, really great way to engage and really make a difference. It's like I said, we don't know who's going to vote. I can, I could try to make something up, um, but I think if anybody tells you they know who's going to vote in this election, they're trying to sell you something. It's just completely unprecedented. And that's why any anything we can do to raise the um, general awareness that this election is happening and turnout our base is just critically important. Every conversation we have with a voter about the fact that this election is happening is a good conversation to have, whether they have never voted before in their life or they vote every single election. Um, we need to be talking to as many people as we can. So I'll stop there. I am more than happy to take questions either about the Fairness Projects or about the Ohio campaign in particular. Um, but I will stop talking and turn it back Great. over to, yes, to Kitty, Thanks. who's going to operate for me. Thanks so much, Hannah. That was uh, very interesting and, um, and very disturbing on so many levels. But um, since we, since you ended with Ohio, why don't we stay in Ohio for a little bit and then we can pull back and talk about um, some of the other campaigns that the Fairness Project has um, worked on and what you're thinking of for 2024. So yes, please feel free to put more questions in the chat. Um, so it sounds like part of the key to, um, to fighting this, instead of putting a, a positive ballot initiative forward, we're, we're fighting a bad one. Um, and it sounds like working with partners on the ground is really key. You have to have boots on the ground. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And can you also sort of talk about the language that is used in the ballot initiative and what you guys have to do to sort of counter these, this tricky language, um, this, this idea of tricking voters, which seems to be um, part and parcel of you know, anti-ballot initiative work. Um, we heard it in Kansas, obviously. I know you did, I didn't do that, but would love to hear more about that. Yeah, um, I'll take the second part of the question first, actually, because that's um, the best, like just good news. Uh, so we thought 
Frank LaRose himself, Secretary of State of Ohio, gets to write the ballot title that voters see when they go vote. And then there's a supposedly nonpartisan ballot board that drafts the summary that shows up underneath it. Um, and Frank LaRose wrote a ballot title that says, you'd think I've had it memorized by now, but I don't, um, something to the effect of issue one elevates the standards to pass ballot initiatives in Ohio. And our initial assumption was that, you know, that is trickery. It is also misleading and voters are like, that is a good title for them. And we're going to have a lot of work to do to kind of make up for how misleading that is. Um, we did a tracking poll a few weeks ago, and that was the first poll that we did with the actual ballot language itself. And it showed that voters are seeing white right through it, um, which was a huge, huge relief to me. Um, we think that, you know, if voters hear and see nothing else, and the first thing they look at is the ballot initiative, just on that cold read that we're winning by about 10 points. Um, and if voters hear from our side at relatively equal levels as the other side, which I will say is not the reality right now, we are out communicating them very significantly, um, we're still winning at the end by a really nice margin. I would say the huge caveat, of course, is that when you're polling, you do have to pick and choose who you're calling and you do have to sort of make up a turnout screen. And, you know, we decided to poll people who have voted in past primaries and past special elections. Um, and that may or may not be a perfectly representative sample of who actually turns out. But I would say fundamentally, um, the ballot language does not seem to be hurting us as much as we thought it was going to. So that is really good news. Um, and then in terms of coordinating with state partners, um, Ohio has been just an absolute treat in terms of growing and like building a coalition. We have more than 200 groups at this point who have endorsed the one person, one vote campaign. Um, and of those groups, many of them are putting real deal work into doors, into phones, into texts. Um, and it's just been so nice to work in a state where in an election that happened this quickly, I mean, we learned that this election was happening 90 days before it will be voted on. And so the pace at which we had to ramp and scale this campaign was, it's, I have never done anything like it before in my life. And the fact that groups in Ohio were willing to meet the moment and jump with us um, and just really put their back into the work has been phenomenal. So um, yeah, it's just been, it's been awesome. And, you know, it's an issue where the stakes are so high for everyone, I think, everybody is able to really put aside their own agendas and their own priorities for the sake of just winning on August 8th because it's so existential to everybody. Um, Bill Sussman added in that, um, you know, issue one wouldn't just make it harder to, um, for citizens to engage in direct democracy, but it would also really limit the possibility of a nonpartisan redistricting commission map in Ohio, that would, it, it, it would probably never happen then. So it would enshrine minority rule in redistricting as well. It, yeah, this would impact every single issue that ever goes before voters in Ohio. So it is, you know, 
repro has gotten a lot of attention because that is the thing that's coming up next, but this would apply, yes, to the redistricting initiative that could move forward, the minimum wage initiative that could move forward, um, you know, folks in like our teachers, friends have been thinking about a proactive education reform initiative, anything, anything that citizens put to the ballot, put to the voters in the future in Ohio would have to win with 60%. Yeah. Um, Beryl from California said that she and her group are writing a bunch of postcards to Ohio voters or, or Ohio voters. Are you finding that those are successful? Is it sort of like any election where every touchstone helps motivate voters? Is that the case? Yeah. Bring on the postcards is what I say. <laughs> and I will say too, there are no there are no coordination rules at all whatsoever for ballot initiatives in Ohio. And so the campaign um can send you know specific lists for voters that we think are most helpful to mail but there are so many postcards going in and i really truly believe that like these handwritten notes are so they're so helpful the more the merrier yeah, yeah it's great right we have a uh, vote forward letters on our website so we'll make right. sure we put that link in the um in the chat at the end of the call too. Um, Georgiane D'Angelo says that she calls Ohio three three or four times a week. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's excellent. Um, she said she speaks to about 14 to 17 voters and folks have started voting and 80% say that they will vote no, which is really great. Um, now you guys worked in Michigan, so which was a resounding success. Um, so are you feeling that, are you sort of seeing the same sort of early results that you did in Michigan? Um, lessons learned from Michigan that's helped you do your work here in Ohio? Give us sort of a sense of, I know you related it to South Dakota, which I'd like to talk about next, but talk to us about your work in Michigan and how, uh, how you're able to use it in Ohio. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the Michigan, so Michigan was obviously um, the first proactive citizen initiated reproductive rights ballot initiative since the fall of Roe um, that passed in 2022 and really has served as a roadmap not only for Ohio to move forward their own proactive constitutional amendment on reproductive freedom but other states as well um, and so yes I would say the repro campaign absolutely which is we're also involved in that campaign um, has taken a lot of lessons learned from Michigan um, in terms of even, you know, how to formulate ballot language, what it takes to win um, in terms of fundraising, how to really rally groups on the ground. Um, you know, we're taking a lot of those learnings forward and also Ohio is a unique state and it's a unique election and a unique electorate. Um, Michigan was a midterm. Um, with a really, really competitive top of the ticket, Ohio is not. It's a um, it's an off year election. It will be the only thing on the ballot this fall, um, and that goes for issue one as well, which of course was is a weeds you no know campaign on a terrible democracy reform question, um, which Michigan thankfully didn't have to face at all. Um, but you know this issue one will be the only thing that voters are voting on um, statewide in August, which just, again, that has not happened. I think somebody told me the other day that there has not been a special election on a statewide ballot question since like 1923. 
or something like that. So it is just totally, totally unprecedented. Um, Hannah, do you think, so um, in 2022, you said South Dakota and Arkansas, you had wins. Um, when there's been a win, a roundabout initiative, does that set, I mean, I know it's too soon to really tell, but do you find that that settles the issue or do these state lawmakers go back and think, oh, well, we didn't succeed this time, but we're going to, we're going to try, try again. Um, you know, is this going to end it in Ohio or are we going to have to keep fighting this fight? What, what's your feeling? You probably don't have an answer for me on that one. I have a theory. Um, but this is absolutely me reading a crystal ball and I okay. might be totally wrong. I think that if we win in August and we win in November and reproductive rights are enshrined in the constitution of Ohio, that it, at least in the short term, puts the 60% question to bed because pro-life interests are then going to want to use this process to undo what we have just passed at the ballot box. So I would be very surprised if we have to keep fighting this fight in Ohio specifically. Um, Arkansas is a little bit different. Um, they have repeatedly brought the same question before voters and they just keep losing and losing and losing. Um, South Dakota is not. South Dakota has not brought back these same attacks. So I do think it's really state specific and unfortunately um, specific to what issues are percolating in terms of like what questions are going to be before voters. You know, I think if we went back to South Dakota and tried to run um, a reproductive rights amendment, um, they have one on the ballot, actually, most likely will be on the ballot for 2024. So we'll see what happens with that. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if they put it on the ballot again in our in a South Dakota, but it's really, I think, state specific and issue specific. And knock on wood, we put it to bed in Ohio. Yeah. I just did. Um, is the media covering this initiative in Ohio? Or are you guys getting good press? Yeah, it's been wild. Um, we actually saw in our last tracking poll a 15 point increase in people who have said they've seen, read, or heard a lot about this initiative. Um, we have gotten, I think, every single major editorial board in the state to write in opposition to, uh, to issue one, um, we're on TV, like local news multiple times a week. The press corps is absolutely plugged in um, and the coverage has been really, really excellent. It's been really, really, really helpful. Yeah, there's some great stuff on the Fairness Project website. So uh, I urge everyone to take a look for sure. Um, Okay, so you mentioned Arizona, hotbed of election denialism. Tell us a little bit about what happened in 2022 and what you see. Maybe we can then pull back and look at your work in 2024 um, and what you think we're all going to be paying attention to besides just, you know, general election uh, issues in 2024. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in 2022, I believe on the literal last day of session, which was in late June, the legislature referred a question to the ballot that would have, that did raise the win threshold for con citizen initiated constitutional amendments to 60% that increase taxes and fees. 
and but it's only tax only taxes and fees. And um, in Arizona, the state, of course, drafts its own title, and it's a really simple, like one sentence long question that goes before voters, and it basically was, "Do you want to make it harder to raise your taxes?" Was basically what they were voting on. So that ballot language um, was really, really hard to overcome. And as I'm, you know, everyone here knows Arizona is a very expensive state to campaign in. Um, it got referred to the ballot so late that raising money to mount a really aggressive no campaign was really hard. So we ended up, um, I think we ended up raising just over $2 million, which again, in Arizona in a, you know, general election does not go very far. Um, we were able, according to our polling, so assuming our polling was right, but according to our polling, we swung the vote with that $2 million, about 19 points in our direction, um, and we ended up losing by a point and a half. So what I tell folks is Arizona is a cautionary tale. You cannot underfund these races because they are hard. Um, and in fact, we have seen in Ohio, uh, and actually all of the states, where if you just ask voters directly, should we make it harder to change the constitution? They say yes. And should it be a 60% threshold? They say yes. But when you explain to them that what that really means is 40% of voters get to block you know, all decisions for the minority, they immediately are like, well, that's a terrible idea. Um, but you have to have the resources to explain that. And absent those resources, these fights become really, really close. And that is exactly what happened in Arizona. So um, we lost that one if, and, you know, moving forward, anybody trying to run an initiative that raised taxes or fees, uh, will have to pass it with 60%. Yeah. Um, I can see why that would be really hard to overcome for sure. Uh, okay. We're going to get into 2024. I know, um, Bill Sussman has asked a question about, um, he's heard that in Florida, there's some um, groups getting together to lead a ballot initiative to restore reproductive rights. Will you guys be getting involved in that? So we're watching that one really closely. Obviously, um, the impact of Florida would be immense. Um, the number of just the sheer number of people of reproductive age in that state um, who have recently lost access to care due to their ban um, is immense. I think from our perspective, it got started a tiny bit late. So we're hoping to get some updates from that campaign soon about how signature gathering is going, but we're watching it closely and like really rooting for them. And if they get the signatures, we'll be in. Yeah, absolutely. So get that thing over the finish line because that would just be huge. Yeah, the women of Florida are really suffering for sure. Yeah. Um, and then Susan Lehman wants to know, um, well, first of all, like, do you feel like what's going on with the Fairness Project and just ballot initiatives in general, protecting reproductive rights or protecting the right to vote or you know, um, Medicaid expansion. Do you feel like this is sort of a way to build a pro-democracy coalition and our voters understanding what direct democracy means? Does that really ring a bell with voters? It's, so, only about half of the states in the United States allow for direct democracy. And I think 
depending on where you live, yes, you are familiar with it, whether you call it direct democracy or you call it ballot initiatives or ballot measures. Um, I think depending on where you live, voters are familiar with the process of voting directly for policy change. Um, I will say the fact that it's not everywhere has been um, something that the Fairness Project has really, you know, we constantly are educating people who are really involved even in, you know, candidate politics across the country um, may not be familiar with the ballot measure process because they come from like New York or Georgia. Like most of the South does not have, unfortunately, um, a process for this. And so we do spend a lot of time um, doing sort of that base education. And I do think it's really important, but um, I think the longer we're at it, like, yes, this is a great way to build a pro-democracy coalition. Um, we've done it in a lot of states, particularly around this defensive stuff, but I'm really hoping, you know, in Ohio, for example, that the groups on the ground are able to carry the momentum from this August 8th election through November and all the way through 24. I mean, they have a huge Senate race up. They have hopefully this huge redistricting campaign up. Um, and my hope is that the coalition can really stay together to fight this fight um, moving forward. Uh, before we move into 2024, I guess one one other Ohio question from Andrea Dickinson. Um, has Have business leaders in Ohio weighed in on no, ish, on no vote no? Yeah, they have. And I don't know if you Google like Ohio business leaders issue one, my hope would be that a bunch of press coverage comes up. We had, we organized a letter of about 25 really notable Ohio based CEOs to all come out in opposition to this. And it included, you know, like the former um, CEO of Nationwide Insurance, um, an ice cream store, like some really, really well-known folks. And they have been wonderful about doing earned media. They're continuing to do earned media. The chamber um, did come out in support. And so this business letter was sort of our answer to that, to say like, listen, chamber, sure, you're doing your thing, but all of your members disagree with you. <laughs> so, and I actually do think that that has caused a bit of a rift and has hopefully damaged their fundraising a little bit. Yeah, of course they did. Um, okay, so Hannah, take us into 2024. What will you be working on and what should we be looking for? Yeah, so keep your eye out for reproductive rights ballot initiatives, kind of hopefully dotting the country. Um, we are, you know, any there are about 10 states that have um, some sort of restriction on abortion access where we can run ballot initiatives. Not all of them are going to go in 2024. I think the actual number will probably be around two or three. Um, but I'm confident we will have a handful of those. We're hoping to do minimum wage initiatives. Uh, one has already launched. It's in Missouri. That would be a $15 minimum wage. And it also tax on um, guaranteed paid sick leave to workers. Um, so we're very excited about that policy and we've got volunteers out collecting signatures for it already. Um, a coalition in um, Nebraska is looking at a paid leave policy as well. Um, so it's gonna be 
it's going to be a really busy cycle for the Fairness Project. I think our economic portfolio is going to be really well presented, well represented, mostly in the minimum wage paid leave um, buckets. And I think the states where we run that will be, you know, states actually where we've worked a lot before. Um, the one new one potentially being Alaska, which we're very excited about. Um, and then in terms of direct democracy defense, we will unfortunately, I'm sure, have a handful of those that we have to fight back against as well. Um, Missouri and Oklahoma are two states that we're always watching very closely. Um, North Dakota, for sure, will have a campaign there. And then we're watching Arizona and Arkansas as well. Um, so I think we're going to have you know, in 2024, I'm anticipating somewhere between 10 and 14 statewide statewide ballot initiatives that the Fairness Project funds and, yeah, provides wraparound support for. Wow, you're going to be busy, Hannah. I hope you get a little vacation after August 8th. Yeah. <laughs> that is <Will> you... <laughs> yeah, good. Okay. Uh, well, listen, I, do, uh, I know you have a lot to do. It's a very busy time. Um, a democracy is not taking a vacation and nor are you and we really appreciate your work and the work of the fairness project i encourage everyone to go to the fairness project website we have letter writing and phone banking to ohio voters so please take a look at that on our website we are taking a bit of a break in august um, but we will be putting out our newsletters we're on social media so please follow us and um, you know, let's let's support the Fairness Project and the fight for Ohioans to um, have a say in their constitution, their democracy. And uh, Hannah, really, really appreciate your time and your work. Thank you so much, and thank you everyone for coming to Big Tent today. Mm -hmm.